0: everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Kent Only podcast, brought to you in association, as always, with our good friends, Workforce Dimensions Limited. Uh, I'm John Phipps, I'm still locked down, and on the line now is a man who's apparently revolutionised this podcast. Matt Joward, how are you? Uh,
1: very good, yes. We're trying something a bit different here, because um, I've been using Microsoft Teams at work quite a bit, and we thought that we would try it on Microsoft Teams on the pod, so we can. Hopefully the quality is a little bit different and you can do your editing and it'll be a little bit easier, John. Has it revolutionised the podcast after 117 episodes? It's, you know, quite out there, to be honest.
0: Uh, well, but that's what you've, you've said to me. You've said you, know, you said to me, this is going to revolutionise it.
1: Uh, so might even get, well, hopefully we'll get more than more listeners then and maybe the quality will be better. So if it is better, please send us a like or whatever it does from that point of view.
0: Yeah, do let us know. And also, uh, the advantage of this is, is... Uh, we've been able to bring a third party in to join us for the show. So uh, instead of just hearing from me and Matt, we've also got a guest lined up as well. So on the line now as well is a former Kent Online journalist, uh, a bit of everything really, he likes American football, but you're not here to talk about that for a a change, Odie. Uh, It's Alex Hode. How are you coping with lockdown, Alex? Uh, I'm coping very
2: well, thank you. I'm delighted to be your third wheel today. Thank you so much
0: yeah so um, well we you know we thought it might be a nice change for other people to to hear from someone else so um yeah, tell us about your lockdown and, and and what you're up to. you've not been working or anything no? uh no i I'm one of
2: the the, the great statistics, so I've actually been made redundant as of the end of march um and uh, yeah so I'm actually climbing could be it could be worse to be honest because I've got two kids under five, so I'm at home looking after them, my other half's a key worker uh, she works at a primary school so it means that I can do some some real parenting for once, and uh, my my gosh, I'm I'm just loving
0: it. <laughs> I suppose um, I've seen Martin Lewis, that fellow on the telly, a lot, and he's saying people who who were made redundant at the end of at the end of March, you can still go back and get furloughed by your old employers. Is that is that right? That
2: that is right. Yeah, my employers aren't doing that. They they basically have the choice of whether to do it or not. Unfortunately, I was writing for an industry uh, which is basically. The travel industry has been hit pretty much as hard as anything could possibly be by uh, by coronavirus, unfortunately. And, um, no, and, and of course, my fallback would be uh, it's a bit of freelance sports journalism as well, which is not really going to plan at the moment either. So I'm actually just enjoying time. I'm just really, really glad that I've got a very small bit of space to myself, a little garden, and we're able to make the most of, uh, of the spring-like or summer-like weather, actually, we're having at the moment. And things could be a lot worse. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being grateful for what I've got. A lot of people are worse off, I know.
0: Yeah, I suppose from my point of view, obviously, uh, Alex, I am a uh, B&B owner who does sports journalism on the side, so you can imagine uh, exactly, I, I understand exactly where you are coming from.
2: It is, it is incredibly tough times, I, I've, I've been saying to people, it feels, it feels like a film script and we're just kind of all like peripheral figures in this uh, unreal situation that no one alive has really ever seen before and, and just you just dread to think, what well, the next twist and turn that's going to come next is going to be it.
0: And how are you, Mr Gerard?
1: Yeah, good, yeah. I, I, um, I was furloughed, but now i was taken out of furlough, so I am working this week. Uh, next week, I will be furloughed. So, um, yeah, I've been doing a bit of gardening, um, doing a little bit of teaching with the kids. So, it's been, yeah, as Alex said, and particularly other than the the news about Boris Johnson last night, you know, it just seems like a crazy world we're living in. You just can't fathom where it is, and people are talking about exit strategies and all sorts for, for the lockdown, but... I've got no idea when this is going to end, to be honest. So, you know, I've written off basically April and, you know, you look at some certain country, I think Austria, of opening certain places, but all restaurants are still, and bars are closed till May. So there will be certain social distancing. So, yeah, I've just got no idea where we're going from here. It's just crazy, crazy times.
0: Yeah. I feel we should really say as well that, although obviously we are doing a a podcast about non-league football, we know that there's many, many more important things going on elsewhere in the world. Um, but I guess this is just kind of our sort of release from it all, uh, I guess, and hopefully it gives the people that are listening to this forty-five minutes or so of of, of thinking about other things.
1: Yeah, I think it, it probably does a bit. You know, we found out about your love for neighbours last week, John, which is always exciting, and and well, you know, of course, the ever-evolving world of non-league football could be changing again. But it just comes out with the appeal going on. But yeah, there is more important things out there, but. I think it is a a nice forty-five minutes break, and I'm sure Hody feels
2: the same. Absolutely, do. Do you know what? I keep harping back. The last game of football I I actually watched before this all came to pass was was that really strange afternoon where the National League was playing, and uh, and nobody else was. Matt was was there as well at Dover, and uh, it was just we just I made the most of every minute of that because we weren't sure. I remember saying we're not sure when the next one's going to be, and it was just so nice to forget about everything that was going on for that for those ninety minutes in there. and doing something like this and, um, uh, and chatting to people in the game about their, their thoughts and experiences in the game as well, that's just lovely. So it's a welcome distraction because the, the news can get a bit, uh, it can be a bit overwhelming, to be honest, and, and social media just the same as well. So to have a, a few minutes of just think about something else, something positive, something that we're missing, and speaking for myself, I'm sure for you guys as well, we, we won't take it for granted again. I'm so looking forward to that first time that I get back into the ground, where, wherever it may be, non-league. Premier League, wherever it may be, just to, to make the most of it, really drink it all in and uh, try and get back to something
0: approaching normal life. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm going to sort of turn on you a bit here as well, uh, Alex, if you don't mind. But um, we've obviously seen some Premier League clubs being a bit naughty uh, in the in the last few days. Liverpool now being heralded as some sort of heroes because they've gone back on their awful decision to get the government to pay 80% of the wages of their non playing staff. But your boys, Tottenham, are still uh, still keeping the, the fight in the good fight. They're having that 80%, aren't they? He, do you know what the the hardest
2: nosed businessman of them all? And, and basically, the fact that you've got Mike Ashley and Daniel Levy at, at one end of the scale it tells you pretty much all you need to know. That it's basically he's looking at it as a free handout, essentially a government handout, and he'll probably think we've paid X number of million in in, in taxes this year and every year. And I think Spurs actually pay more tax than anybody else. I'm absolutely not defending what they're doing at all. It's disgraceful. I know people that work at the club and have been affected by this and it, it is absolutely dreadful. The one thing about Daniel Levy that I don't understand for such a, a shrewd businessman, he's, he's so fantastic with all the figures, he's got no idea about the intangibles, the damage that this will do in terms of PR and if I was a, a sponsor, a potential sponsor, thinking I want to put my name for that stadium, you're going to turn around and walk away from him. It, there's no way he's going to have done himself far more damage than the, the small amount it would have cost to, to at least to top up the, uh, the wages of those that he's asked to take cut, if not pay them all the way
0: through the next couple of months. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether the players should be taking pay cuts and stuff. But there's been some interesting uh, things said, which is, you know, these players who earn a lot of money, yes, they do earn a lot of money, but they also pay a lot of tax. And if they're going to start cutting their wages, then where does that go? I think the idea of the players coming together and maybe making a donation uh, is, is a much better idea, a much better way of doing it. And um, I don't know if, you, if you've seen, but there's an article on by a chap called John Nicholson on Football365, which I tweeted out uh, over the weekend. It is an interview with a player, uh, a, an unnamed Premier League player, who apparently, uh, for the last three years, has given his salary away to charity every single week, uh, or just given it away, because he, he says, I've got enough money, I don't need it. Uh, I would recommend that you go and find that article, because it's an absolutely fantastic read. It was, I read that
2: after you tweeted, actually, John, it was, it was superb, and the, 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 one of the points that he raised, which made me think a lot, I mean, you, you physically can't spend that amount of money if you're one of the Spurs. We've got players that run 150, 200 grand a week now, and uh, it, it it really is very, very difficult to comprehend. Once you've got your house, once you've got your cars, once you've got your your lifestyle all set, and the money just keeps on rolling in every week, every every paycheck, you're, you're getting three quarters of a million pounds a month. It's, there's only so much you can spend. I know they're getting taxed 40, 45 percent, whatever it might be, a couple of percent. National insurance as well. They're obviously putting a lot into the coffers, but it's very, very hard living the life that they do for eight, nine, ten months of the year to actually be able to spend all that money. I wouldn't know where to start if I had that amount of money in my account, and I probably wouldn't last more than a couple of months either one way or another.
1: Well, I have to think that the, the people, you know, football are really easy scapegoat, aren't they? And I, I think, you know, whatever political um, side of the fence you stand on, it it, it was pretty of a pe- pretty cheap jibe, I think, to have a go at the footballers, and I can see where why some of them are, are, have been critical of the government's situation from that. And I think, you know, you know, they're not going to take a pay cut. The, the tax that Harry Kane, use him as an example, he's on 200, £250,000 a week, you know, cutting his wages is probably not going to do too much but because of the, the tax he pays. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, it'll be interesting to see how football copes at the higher end. Will there be massive wages and massive transfer fees after the end of this, but I don't think that will um, carry down to where we are. But it's just, yeah. Just interesting times, but it's easy to dig out
0: footballers. I think. Yeah, I think Alex has made a good point there in terms of how much these these people people do earn, and it's not their fault. You know, that, I mean, well, Seth Johnson going back in the day it probably was his fault, but they're only doing what what they're offered to, to play. That is the going rate. I mean, I personally think that you know, even if you're on five grand a week, you're rich. So you know, somewhere along the line there should be a cap. But then we see if there's a cap here. Then everywhere else in the world won't sort of abide by it. So you'll end up having you know, all, all the best players will go to China because that's where the money is. And unfortunately, you know, that is the the, the way. And and you know, it, it's really funny. I, I've got a bit of a, a bee in my bonnet about this at the moment. People saying, Oh, football is going to China, oh, it's they've got no ambition. I read an article, an interview with uh, Ramirez, the former Chelsea player, and he said, and they said to him, Well, you know, it was in 442. so said, Why why did you go to China from Chelsea? He said, Well, in one year I earned what I earned in six years uh in in chelsea it's changed my family's life forever so you, you can't blame these people because you know they're, they're doing what what they're you know if someone said to you matt you you important git with the shortest furlough ever in history um if someone said to you matt right well you know now we're going to start paying you 100 grand a week for doing your job you're not going to say no 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 so i've got to be socially responsible i don't want that are you no exactly I, I,
1: I think everybody out there, um, if you've got the ability to earn more money elsewhere, you, you're going to do it. So, uh, again, Premier League players arguably pay too much money, but if it's offered to you, you're going to take it. So, uh, it's just as, as Alex said that some of the clubs have got to have a think about themselves. Are the key players who who help that club's running forward and furloughing them and get from the government, it, it, it is, a, I think, a bit disrespectful, really. But that's football for you. Arguably, at the top end.
0: Of course. Um very quickly what, what what's everybody doing uh during uh, during lockdown? I mean uh, relationships in our house have got so uh got so exciting. We've actually had a debate about whether uh, the face fuzz you saw earlier is a beard or not. Uh I think it is. Hayley's not so sure. Um and also we've been playing Monopoly and Million Pound Drop. That's how things are going here. Uh,
1: well, I did my wife found went up the loft and got a Sega Mega Drive out of the loft. Scenes. Of course, there was 20 odd games in there. And I did ask, did you have Brian Lara's cricket or FIFA? All she had was Echo the Dolphin, <laughs> which is not really my sort of thing. So basically, I then went um,
0: on thing and brought, well, I purchased Brian Lara's cricket from 1996. Brilliant! On so what a game! I'm
1: hoping, I'm hoping that that will eventually arrive. Ad will work. So a Sega Mega Drive from 1996, well, 95. So I did shout at my wife and say, why didn't you buy FIFA? Why didn't you buy Brian Lara and wanted to play a thing about Dolphins? But clearly, she's never seen a game of football in her life. She's hardly going to buy FIFA
0: at that time, was she? <laughs> FIFA 95 was the one where you could run away from the ref if he booked you. That was the first FIFA game I ever owned. I had a mega drive back in the day. And uh, yeah, that was the first FIFA game I ever owned, FIFA 95. Brilliant. But Brian Lara, cricket 96, absolutely superb. Uh, Alex, what about you?
2: I was just going to say, FIFA ninety five. Was that the one with Eric Toulbier on the front
0: cover? Yes, but all the players have made up names as well, and I loved it because there was a bloke who played for Norwich. His surname was Phipps, and there's never been any other footballer of any skill uh, with my name. So I was like, I've got, I've got to be them. I've got to be them. Oh, that, yes,
2: it, uh, it was a, a good trip down memory lane. I wish I had the time to play the Mega Drive. Basically, do you remember? It seems so, so, such a long time ago. it was Only a couple of months. Do you remember everyone was doing Dry January? <laughs> yeah. And, I'm basically doing incredibly wet March and April so if I uh, get through my days. It's, it's taxing. Now I tell you what I found: a little bit of time I have for myself tends to be at like ten o'clock at night after the kids have gone down, the missus has, has, has just basically passed out for exhaustion, and uh, I get a little bit of time for myself. So I'm, I'm just basically consuming like sports documentaries. I've done all the Sundling till I die. Um, And going through, I'm doing the ESPN 30 for 30 It's just like fantastic um, documentaries about basically old school sport Loving it, because there's nothing to watch I've tried the whole Belarus football on a Saturday afternoon It's dreadful (laughs) Um, Watched a little bit of Nicaraguan baseball at the weekend as well Absolutely terrible um, And I'm giving up on the very meagre amount of live sport there is And just going back to the the classics, the glory days and, And trying to
0: get under the skin of it, they're fantastic Did you watch the virtual Grand National at the weekend, lads?
1: I did. I put money on that as well. Yeah, so did
0: I said I had second and fourth, so I actually ended up winning money out of it. Oh
1: my! But, but it bizarrely, was I was watching it and I rang my mates into the horse racing and I said, "What's this? It was so realistic, was it? I couldn't believe how they did it until you went and really looked about an inch away from your screen and you realised they were computer things. But I thought it was bloody clever, though, wasn't it? Not that they did it, but it made me laugh. The greatest before the greatest horse races of all time like run the national.
2: Red Run One, what a surprise! I could have told him that without putting it to your computer. It uh, it was a spectacle. They said the, the, the problem was though that everyone I think piled off because it was the first opportunity to look into gambling accounts for about a month. So uh, so everyone went on. I think a lot of good money was caused uh, raised for good causes as well. I think a lot of the uh, the winning bets were matched or something given the bookies, given them to the NHS. And it was uh, it was a bit of a, like relief as we said anything to just detract from the. The kind of like the swirling negativity of the world at the moment so it was a little bit of life relief for 20 minutes at, at I, some point on Saturday.
1: I was disappointed though because the graphics were so good that it just wasn't like a little stick horse or something like that that would have been pre, pre, made me laugh even more they so, you know the old glory days of the mega drive when these uh, things were like sticks it, it'd be better in that way but it was so well, realistic.
2: Seaside, seaside amusements where you get that kind of like the <laughs> road like That'd be great. Take two pounds and, and, and hope that the, the purple one won. I was so no, folks to market, that used to be the king for that, didn't it? Down the road Sunday It was. That was yeah. uh, many, many happy
0: hours spent down there. Yeah. I um I, am, am. I love the fact that on the virtual race they had like stewards running up and fixing the fences <laughs> after they jumped over. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh this uh this new uh fangled uh, revolutionised podcast is our one hundred and eighteenth episode and I can only say on that one one eight got your number. Do you remember that, lads?
1: They still do that, don't they? The bloke with the moustaches who look like... Yeah, they've
0: turned into like uh, one of those um, payday loan money sharks now instead. Isn't that great?
1: Is they really?
0: Yeah, 118 Money, apparently. Oh,
1: uh, it would ever ring anybody and say, oh, yes, um, can I have the number for Domino's Pizza, please? Oh, would you like us to connect it for about £3,000? Oh. People would think, yeah, we would. So, uh, yeah, 118 got your number. that was advertising
2: at its best, I suppose, wasn't it, really? The fact you remember it all these years later, I suppose, is something iconic yep. about it, but um, not
0: as good as Ron Seal. <laughs> <laughs> Does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's let's move on then. Obviously last week we did a show on Tuesday and um, pretty much as soon as we'd finished recording, uh, the National League announced that their season had been uh, suspended indefinitely. Uh, that has now sort of uh, carried on, so they're, they're in with everybody else, the National League. They haven't made a decision yet on if this is the end uh, or what they're going to do. Um, I've, I've spent my time uh, before chatting today, looking through what some of our clubs are doing. Uh, Ebsfeet United, surprisingly in the relegation zone, Matt believe, uh, and Alex believe that the season should be null and void. Isn't that gracious of them? <laughs>
2: I'm
0: shocked. i <to> my very <laughs> core about
1: that. Well, they did say they did say that, that you can promote Barrow from that point of view. Oh, that's cause good cause of them. Make the numbers up. So there you go. So congratulations. The Barrow and Ebbsleet supporters union, <laughs> there'll be half and half scarves coming out for those two. <laughs> And will be coming through, yeah, unsurprisingly, uh, uh, MC, um, did, but, but I think they
0: would get relegated, wouldn't they, on the
1: points per game ratio, I think, yeah. that's what
0: yeah, so, uh, yeah, Dar- yeah, Dar- yeah, surprising, really, to be honest. Yeah, Dartford down in uh, National League South as well, they've put a statement out, an interview with their chairman, which is actually a very interesting read, uh, it's on their website at the moment. Uh, but they've said uh, they believe that points per game should be used for promotion. But obviously, with the leagues below them all being cancelled, there'd be no relegation. So I think they would quite like uh, to, to, to see the season just brought to an end on a points per game ra- uh, ratio. But uh, as I said last week, and, and Alex, you're welcome to, to give us your point of view. It's all The decision at the lower levels was too hasty because whatever happens at the top is what's got to happen all the way down. I, I tend to agree
2: with that, yeah. That it certainly was, was very hasty. I don't know why they, they did it. I know that it was- as it was down to like the contracts of the players and things like that, but it, it did feel hasty at the time, and in hindsight, it, it certainly was. And the clubs have done really well to kind of mobilise themselves. I think most of them set up crowd funds and things like that to basically see them through this time. Because hey, if Spurs are having to go to the government to uh, to, to sort out issues, then then you know that um, that the clubs lower down the food chain are going to be in a world of trouble. So you're basically relying on the, the goodwill of the, the supporters. They're so often in non-league and. Uh, um, it's been fantastic to see the kind of the, the outpouring at a time when not many, the man on the street isn't particularly flush with cash at the moment. Very many of them have been furloughed, and as, as we all know, or jobs gone. And it's uh, it's, it's hard to, to think oh, I'm going to just chuck 50 quid towards my local non-league team. But a lot of people are doing it. It's going to help them through. Everyone wants to get back to normal and we want for all of our clubs to be there when, when things do eventually get back to it in August, September whenever it might be and um, uh, I think people are doing their little
1: bit if they can to to try and make sure that that does happen. Yeah, yeah. I I presume I think the National League went before they did it indefinitely before the Premier League from that so there may be been some sort of communication between them all all from this. Um, Again, it's just going to run and run until of course the first day they say that all the lockdown's coming out you're going to have people saying when's football starting but I think that could be a, a little bit later on from that but There's not more to say. I think there's going to be, the FA have got a meeting, haven't they? Because there's the the, the, um, petition signed by these amount of clubs to say what they're going to do. If I was a betting man, I presume the FA will win that and carry on as they were. But it will be interesting to see from that. But uh, there's not more more to go. A lot of clubs are being furloughed in the National League as well uh, from that point of view. So I think they know it could be a long while before we're playing again.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, I say I was looking down. Everybody, Bromley uh, have applied for furlough, but they have uh, committed to pay one hundred percent of of all player and staff wages till the end of May. And and I think that kind of shows, you know, that, that, that Bromley are, are looking after people, and and that's a, a a fair decision, I think, because you know, with contracts being up at the end of May or or the end of April in in some cases, you've got to find a way. And, and when you know these players, especially the players who are full time, they don't know when their next paycheck is going to come if they're con- out of contract at the end of May.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people, we speak to a lot of people that obviously have another job, and another career as well, but for those that are full-time, and as you say, they don't know any more than than we do when the season's going to get back to normal, whether or not they'll start getting paid when they kind of go back to training. They'll have to keep themselves ticking over over the summer, presumably, if we're still allowed to go out and do an hour of exercise a day, but um, this is the thing. It's the uncertainty which is crippling so many people, and, and, and sport, If you, you kind of have to look at it as part of the entertainment industry, really, and it's, it's not a lot different to... Um, to, I suppose pubs and clubs and theatres and cinemas and things like that. That if you look at it in the, in that way, people are basically have no real idea. We're in the eye of the storm at the moment. There's no way of knowing how how long until we get out of it. So it's it's very good of Bromi to to do that and basically to think about the people involved. That's that's not what Daniel Levy is doing. He's looking at the the numbers and, and Bromi are thinking about the people. And I think that's only fair. that There'll be issues with peak players, I'm sure, in the National League that have got year-round contracts that are um, so controversial. Some some will probably be paid up till the end of the season, some until the end of May, and there'll be others that get paid throughout the summer as well, and God knows what happens here. But basically, football, from the top level to the bottom, there's so much money awash, and, and so there are so many legal ramifications in every single division um, that there is no simple solution. These are unprecedented times and this is an unprecedented situation, and I don't know that there is an ideal solution i don't think there ever will be so it's finding the least bad option and hopefully the one that doesn't end up with the the court of arbitration for sport tied up in legal paperwork for for months and months and months and years perhaps to try and work out what should have been done and i think as as well going back to bromley
1: um, i have to say you know we see what they do in the community with various um things with down to the under eights etc like that um fair play to, to to use the furlough system and top up the wages and you know, if they can afford to do that, you have to admire that. But Bromley, are so sort of ensconced into the community, I think Neil Smith's been delivering, shopping, etc. You don't expect anything from uh, anything less from them. So fair play to Bromley, but not many clubs might will be able to afford to do that. So um, I don't think we can criticise any club that does it. But I think if they've got, you know, the teams at our level, I think it's going to be inevitable that a lot of ones if they can get the furlough, they will continue, they will do that. So and. I don't think it's critical you can't criticise them if they can't top up because they might not have the
0: money to do that. I think as well that, you know, obviously we were talking at the top of the show about Premier League footballers and, and how they've got more money than they can uh, shake a stick at. But players lower down the pyramid uh, who are full-time footballers earning, you know, let, let's be honest, 1500 quid a week some of them are going to be on if they're lucky. You know, th- they are not going to be able to pay their bills and their mortgage without their football money. And And, you know, whereas all these professional players can go and afford to go and buy probably 10 houses a week. It, it, this is a real situation for people that we would have spoken to on this podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the money involved in that. And again, you might have players who play football as well and have a job. They might, both might be furloughed. I think that can happen, that both of them can be furloughed. So it'd be di- really difficult times for a lot of people. And, and again, you know, and unfortunately, Alex being out of work at the moment, it's only going to be a lot worse. I'm sure the percentage rate of the um, employment rate the whole country's gonna sky you know go sky high from this it's just one of those things and hopefully we can get out of it at some point and hopefully the country's got enough money because you know where are they going to get all this money from
2: it's one yeah, of those crazy things that that is definitely a, a, a factor i have no idea that the, the money tree that they've they talked about so many times saying there isn't one well there seems to be one at the moment and i'm pretty sure that a lot of people are going to be paying this all back for the next however many years <laughs> decades it might take to uh, to get back on the level terms all I was going to say and add to that was that um, one of the things one of the positives I guess is that the banks for once are kind of falling in line with, with most of the people so there are things like uh, mortgage holidays for, for those footballers you, you mentioned John and, and perhaps uh, I know personal loans and credit card payments they are actually two three months you're, you're getting holidays there are options out there for people to try and get through it. and hopefully two three months might be the difference between no football at all and Getting back to some kind of normality, with depending on how the projections work out, it looks as though late summer things may be able to, to kind of get going again, and that might just be the, the breathing space that the, the footballers need.
0: Yeah, interesting. We we're talking about that Dartford statement as well. We said they want points per game uh, for promotion. I think that'll be the first way of doing it. Uh, however, obviously they are in the playoffs, and their chairman has said they are ready to go full time if they get promoted. Now, that's a big statement to make in these uncertain times.
1: Amazing, because you think. It- you know, when we spoke to Andy Hessenthaler last week, could, you know, it might be that Dover, who went part-time and arguably kept him up, could go back to part-time. And then Maystone, I think Maystone, who have been full-time, and they think their whole business model might change because of the money, of course. They're reliant on the money on the 3G pitch is not being used. They might they might have to go back to evening training. And I think I read something on the Ken online saying that, you know, they'd appointed Haykin Hayretton, but that might all change from their point of view if they have to get a part-time manager in. So, yeah, it's... I admire Dartford doing that. Dartford, as we know, a, a, a well-run club. Um, but I think it's a, it's a bold statement if you're saying you would go from that. But are, are Dartford saying that, then points per games and the playoffs continue. Then at that point,
0: uh, I assume. But uh, I have the Q and A with the co-chairman Steve Irving, Irving here on, uh, in front of me, uh, and he says, you know, we we're, we're wanting to go up. We're ready to go up. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but there's more income from sponsorship. The club's got itself into a position uh, with stadium structure. Um, we, it, it, he, like everybody else, says he wants more communication on the matter. Uh, but by the by, but he says, you know, it's it's um, it's difficult. Uh, the FA wants to continue. If it was to continue, I think points per game is the fairest way of doing it. All we know is there'll be no relegation uh, this year, so that saves the two sides at the bottom. Uh, it's frustrating for us. We've had a fantastic run since Steve King came in. We're top of the form table. Steve's brought in a fantastic squad of players. If we weren't to carry on, it will feel like a wasted season. Uh, but everybody's health and well-being comes first, which of course is is, is something we agree with. Um, but yeah, I think that they would they are saying, yeah, come on, let, let's put points per game and have some playoffs. And, and I think that's probably uh, a stretch too far. I think. I, as I say, it all boils down to what the Premier League decides to do because they hold all the cards here as far as I'm concerned. I
2: don't think for a minute that the Premier League won't play through to an end, whether it's in front of fans or, or behind closed doors, whether or not they doing talking about doing them all in little mini camps, uh, isolation camps and basically just having the players staying at, at a country hotel, manor hotel, busting them into the game, busting them back again and just keeping them there for, for six, eight weeks to get all the games played. I think it's in nine, ten games each. Um, Within a certain geographical area, perhaps the Midlands, something like that, a few different stadiums, and then basically having a a free for all on TV and of having kind of two or three games every day um, and getting it done that way. There's so much money, and as we've seen, that the clubs are already worrying about their finances. I think the suggestion is that for the league to be just completely scrapped now, the clubs would all have to pay back something like one hundred and fifty million to the broadcasters. Some of them a bit more as well, um, which they've already had in the broadcast deal, uh, kind of in advance and. Clubs just can't, they can't afford to do that. They Basically, the moment it comes into the bank account, it goes out on something else. And, and again, I'm not asking, no sympathy at all for any of these clubs because they manage their own finances, but no one ever thought that we'd be in a position midway through a, a Premier League season where there just isn't any football. There's no, there are no gate receipts. There's no beer being sold in the stadiums. There's no merchandise being sold. There's, there's no money coming in whatsoever. And, and these clubs are all the, some of the richest clubs in the world, but they're all asset-rich, cash-poor they don't necessarily have enough floating around in the current account to pay for three or four months wages for all the players and all the staff. And I think that's probably why you're seeing the decisions around the furloughs that we are at the moment. And um, it, I, I cannot see from all the things that I've been told from within the game, I can't see that the, the Premier League won't finish. Um, and then I guess that that will then trickle down to, to, to everybody else. Whether or not it happens in the, the summer, the autumn or, or even into the winter, they will get it done one way or another just too much money floating around at the top of the game unfortunately um, and that is often put above the, the, the health and safety of people that, that work within it unfortunately just
1: reading on here about the spanish league they're thinking that they're resuming could go by the end of may and they're basically saying they're losing nearly a billion euros if it doesn't get completed so i think um alex's point has been really uh, said straight away there that there's too much money in the competition to do with it from there but it seems to be that, you know, the, the, the more thing, that things are definitely going to get going again, but I don't know where the people are getting these miraculous dates from because, you know, apart from when the lockdown ends, I, think, I presume you just can't get, let everybody out again. There's got to be a, a trickle feed from this sort of thing. So um, I, I'm no expert, but I don't know whether La Liga president, maybe he thinks they can start on the 28th of May, but maybe they know something better than I do. But I presume lockdown just doesn't end and we go back to normality, is there?
0: No, Spain have obviously got bigger problems as well because uh, I think uh, they're a long way off thinking they can be able to end their lockdown looking at the uh, this horif- horrific statistics coming out from there at the moment.
1: It's just crazy. So but We'll wait to see what happens from that point of view. Again, I, I keep thinking about it. Is there going to be a cut-off point from this? So if we're not paying by the 30th of June, do they say the National League finishes or do we, do we decide, right, the National League... We'll carry on till completion, and we start the new season in a different sort of
0: time. So, see, now this goes back to the Ebsfleet statement, uh, which I do have in front of me as well. Uh, see, I didn't actually just throw this one together. Right? I actually thought about this one, uh, but they are basically saying it's 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 that there are unknowns and variables, of course. Um, but he says, you know, the difficulty is about players. It says coming back at some time in the future to finalise the season appears to be less likely and less possible each day that passes. Many clubs, including us, uh, run on a 44-week contract year for players and playing staff, which means in four weeks' time, our squad is no longer ours. We would somehow need to go to market and retain and recruit an entire squad for eight matches to be played at a point in the future that no one at this present time has any certainty around. There are far too many variables. There are a number of other impediments to this, such as player contract law, financial feasibility, etc., if it was determined that no football would take place until August the 1st, for example, and the first eight matches would be a finalisation of the current season, how would that in any way be palatable, given squads would probably look very different and essentially have been built for the next season? You can't have the final crucial matches of a season battled out by new squads. And I think Epswich uh, make a good point there, because if they went out there... Bought, signed players, uh, t- National League standard players, for those eight games, and it all went completely wrong and they ended up being relegated, they'd be stuck with a National League South T club with National League players. And that's the difficulty, isn't it?
2: It's, it's just one of the, the, the many uh, challenges and, and uh, the wrinkles that need ironing out. Is there is a the playing staff absolutely in terms of contracts. And there are some, I, I kept going back to the top level, there are players that are out of contract on June the 1st. Uh, Couple of Chelsea, I think Pedro and uh, uh, and some William perhaps on, on June first. And yet they've got someone else, a guy, Zayash from um, from Ajax, that's coming in. I think on June the first is pre-contract. Do you play him because it's after June the first? Are you able to extend the contracts of the other guys to play if it's after June first? What about the new kits that come for the new season, the new sponsors? Is it this season? Is it last season? There are so many wrinkles and legal ramifications to this, and they will all trickle down through through the leagues. I, I don't really see. <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible to try and get your head around how this could actually happen. I, in terms of, of, of Ebebsleet and what they do, I completely understand that, and that they basically don't want to be paying people over the summer to, to not do anything. They need that breathing space in a normal year, let alone a year like this. Um, it's it, it's just incredible. I've seen the, the suggestion perhaps that you keep the league's structure the same, but basically play the eight games as double, So you're playing the teams that you haven't played this season, they count as a double result, so you get one for them. If you play them in September, August, September, uh, it's essentially is an actual six-pointer for one, so you get the three points to, to finish off this season's table, and then you've got the three points to, to start off next season, but that's obviously uh, it's very difficult if you're talking about teams that are involved in the promotion or the relegation situation as well. It is such a tricky one, but it, basically, as you say, I think, John, one basically league has to set the precedent and the others have to kind of fall in line because otherwise if you've got them all going at it themselves and making their own rules up it's just a complete minefield that I just don't understand how you get it out.
1: Could you see that sides of play the academy then? Could you see it that certain point of view that absolutely right, we're gonna pay half our boys of Academy boys and then that could work in either one way when you've seen it before in the National League that certain academy sides when they play I think Ruston played it a few years ago and they got tongued about nine nil so Again, then
0: that puts... those Academy boys have contracts? Well, I, I don't
1: know. Arguably, they're in education in some of these things from that point of view, isn't it? So, I don't know if, if that works from there, from that point of view.
0: And it is an interesting thing. I mean, looking at, um, obviously, a team who we don't cover on the Ken podcast with Gillingham, I know that they some of their second-year scholars are in a bit of limbo because, obviously, this is a time of year where their contracts would be up. But you know, it's kind of the same thing as we're talking about about with Ipswich, isn't it? You know that they they might have to play some of these kids at some point during the season. So who knows what's going to happen?
1: It is an absolute minefield, and as we said before, I don't know who's going to make these decisions. But again, it's probably going to come from the Premier League, and then we'll get down from there. I'd love to know the poll of the national league, and you know, we're looking at our national league sides here. How many sides? I presume how many sides would want it to carry on and somebody will end it near and then, I presume it would be more that want to end it because the only sides would like to carry on
2: are the other sides are gonna, looking to get promoted, isn't it? Yeah, or, or avoid relegation if that's yeah. still an option that's, that's kind of open, yeah. But I'd say so because most of the teams are cutting their cloth at the moment. They're, they're getting money in from outside from, from fans and things like that. They've already furloughed staff in some instances and, and, and basically shut things down for as long as it, as it needs to be there. The expenditure going out at the moment will be absolutely minimal. Um, they've got some money coming in from goodwill to try and pay the bills that they are committed to, and and, and everyone's basically hibernating and waiting for things to the, waiting for the sun to come out again. Basically, and, uh, and and we're all hoping that maybe in the next few weeks we might see the peak of the of, of the corona crisis, and um, and that things might turn the, the corner and we might start to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and, and then we can start to put a time frame to it. But it is it is incredible. It's incredibly complex, and, um, and as you say, we, we, I think we're going to be re- relying whether it's a scholar player, whether it's a professional player, each club is going to be relying on, it's, it's going to basically be a, a, an individual basis. You're going to have to talk to that player and say, we essentially just want to extend your contract, you're not going to get a pay rise, we're not going to cut your wages, we're just going to extend it, put another three months on it to cover this, uh, this season. Um, it will be unprecedented, yes, but it, it, there's never been anything like it before. If they want to keep playing that's fine. If they don't, that will be a different situation entirely players, if players don't have squads that are prepared to assign that kind of contract extension. But you're going to need to see this at every level of the game, basically. And uh, I don't know that there's anybody that could implement a rule about that. But if, you, if you're if basically relying on the goodwill and the and the hope that these players want to get out there and play again and uh, and, and are prepared to do that, should they be asked to.
0: Yeah. Um, moving on as well, we'll talk very quickly uh, about what clubs are doing l- looking forward I mean obviously a lot of people are doing um, crowdfunding uh, thousands of pounds has been raised but Tunbridge Wells uh, I'm sure they're not the last they won't be the last but what they are is the most recent uh, they announced about an hour before uh, we started recording this uh, that all NHS UK staff will be given free entry into their home games next season and that's the sort of thing you know that, that clubs are, are going to be doing to, to, to look at that and rewarding people who, who deserve it although you know if Dover Athletics start offering that people are going to be saying no aren't they?
1: <laughs> um, it would be interesting to see how it works for, from that point of view but I think it's good that um, the NHS and the key workers that the people are getting um, I think a lot of clubs are going to be doing that and giving them something back and as I said I think the first game back of football that comes back whatever level it could be this season or the start of next season hopefully there's a big push particularly at our level for towns to say let's get behind let's get show what our town's like by going to support their teams
0: yeah, um, I think it's a, a, I'm trying to work out a way to give B&B gas a, a discount if they're NHS or, or even supermarket workers as well, uh, to be brutally honest. But that's where, you know, we, I, I think that the one thing about this crisis is that it's given us a, a, a new sense of, of, of who's important in society.
2: Absolutely, 100% right. I was going to say the same myself, John. That is, You mentioned the supermarket workers. The, the guys, the, the binman came the other day and I, I, I put my hands up. Just take these things for granted and to see these you see the guys come around to, to empty the bins when everyone's at home they're creating an awful lot of uh, household waste as well i know my kids are and just to see them coming the relief when you see them coming rather than thinking oh god what if they don't come today it's these things that you take for granted and it's made me reevaluate a lot of things about what's important and, and the things that you need in life and the things you don't i am desperately missing sport i i really am and i'm doing whatever i can to kind of fill the void but I, I, and I know that I won't take it for granted again when things, if things, God willing, get back to to normal. But it's the same. You say that the supermarket workers, the ones that are putting the stuff on the shelves, so there's stuff there when we're brave enough to go out. To they're being brave for twelve hours a day, probably five days a week at the moment. Um, the people, the delivery drivers as well, the, the people that are helping to keep us uh, our lives as normal and and content as can be. Um, they're the ones that have probably been much maligned. They're probably called unskilled workers. They're probably on the, the lowest money possible. But they, everything without them, the country would have ground to an absolute halt. And so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think this is the, the silver lining to this particularly black cloud is that um, we might reevaluate some things, decide, as you say, what's, who really is important in our society and, and perhaps start to spend less time worrying about those that uh, we deem not quite so important.
0: Yeah, well said, Alex, and instantly we've still got pillows going out sunbathing, but uh, we'll sort that out, I'm sure, in time. Anyway, uh, we do also have another voice for you to hear. Uh, as you know, uh, regular distance, we do have set up a list of questions that we're asking various non-league personalities uh, over these lockdown weeks. And uh, next into the hot seat to take on our questions is Cray Wanderers' assistant manager and former non-league uh, legend, Joe Vines, uh, who I spoke to yesterday. We had a really good chat, uh, and here are his answers to our questions. First of all, then Joe, what is it that you love about non-league football?
3: I lo- More than anything, and I've realised it now, is that I love the dressing room. I love being in there with the boys because so you know it's like an iceberg; ninety percent of it is is in that dressing room.
0: And um, w- what was the highlight of your playing career?
3: Um, as an individual. I would say playing in the first round of the FA Cup for Tooting and Mitcham.
0: Who did you play against?
3: Uh, Stockport County at uh, Stockport. it was, was the manager?
0: Were they in the league time.
3: then? Yeah, they were in the league then. Yeah.
0: Oh, it must have been a great so. day for you.
3: Oh, it was unbelievable. It was a great night as well. <laughs> um, we got we got battered five 0 but it wasn't it wasn't really about that. It was it was about the whole uh, the occasion and sort of the. All the noise around it. I don't think people take the FA Cup as seriously as we did at that time. It was a a real big thing.
0: I suppose for a non-league player, that is the holy grail, isn't it? The FA Cup first round.
3: Yeah, because, you know, it depends on what level you're playing at. Because, you know, if you're one of these boys that have come out of the league and you've already played in the first round, um, you know, it, it wouldn't make much of a difference. But, you know, coming from a real low level, which I did, like, pretty much Sunday League... And then work my way up to levels to Conference South. It was still a big thing, um, And it was just, you know, we beat some good sides along the way as well. So it was the whole journey to it, and sort of the noise around it got louder and louder as we got closer to those games. Um, I mean, we we drew with Eastbourne at home. Uh, we were we were leading, and we we drew. They scored a late night uh, late equaliser, and then we went down there on the Tuesday and beat them. And it was brilliant it was just the whole occasion around it, it was just great
0: uh, who was the best player that you played with
3: uh, it's difficult it there was there's various players that brought various things i mean the best technically in my opinion was a guy called alan mcleod um he came through arsenal he was a scotland under 21 international um but he floated around non-league for a bit but he was a nutter um but technically he could find room in a phone box like he was the way that he could go and get the ball he could also cause a fight in the phone box but he'd go and find the ball um anywhere and he, it was his first touch was brilliant it was always the right first touch it was a class act
0: and who was the best player that you played against who was your toughest opponent
3: Oh, I played against I played against Steve Morrison um, when he was at Bishop Stortford, and it was the FA Trophy. I was at Lewis at the time. and We was in a played in a really good Lewis side. Come fourth in the um, in the, the newly formed Conference South, so we got promoted via playoffs, and we jumped two leagues in one. And um, I was playing centre half with big funny Duko Francis Duco and. He, that's Steve Morrison, they beat us, I think, 3-1, he scored two, but he absolutely ruined me, and he did things to me that nobody else had done, like he kicked the ball around one side and run around the other, and he just dominated me in every single way, and it had never been done to me before, Um, he killed me really, but very, very good player.
0: Who was the biggest influence on you as a player?
3: Um... I mean, you can go for it. Well, my mum and dad, obviously, really supported me. But in terms of playing football and enjoying football at non-league level, um, you know, they, there was two. One was my Uncle Francis. So he played non-league for a long time, played for Kingstonian and Dulwich Hamlet. And I used to go and watch him when I was a kid. Um, but really, the one, the, the one person that really made me enjoy my football um, was was George Wakem and who's my manager at Bromley and as a uh, 2 in the mitchum
0: Did you score many goals? And if so, what was the best one you ever scored?
3: I scored a few. I sort of used to average between like two and five a season. I wasn't exactly prolific as a centre-half. Um, the best one I scored, I scored for 2 in the mitchum I scored a header from outside the box, straight from a corner. Nice. Um, I was making my way up to to the, get in the box and for some reason my brother was on the ball uh, on the corner flag he, he took it early and just sort of drilled it out, you know like the old um, Sheringham and Skulls corner but rather than take it on the volley I, I sort of did a 25 yard header that um, somehow managed to find its way in probably well, my best one
0: uh, who's your best friend in football?
3: Um, really my brother I mean it goes without saying Um. And the other one that I've grown up with is Sam Wood, who's at Bromley now. Um, You know, we lived in the same street, so he's effectively, he's an an extension of my family. So he's my other little brother.
0: What do you do away from football? What's your job?
3: Yes, I'm in recruitment. I'm a recruitment specialist. Um, I'm the director of a business that provides, well, it was embedded talent consultants, so we, we... put a person on site within certain uh, technology startup businesses at the moment it's predominantly remote working uh, talent experts
0: How do you relax away from football?
3: Um, I I like to go and have a few beers give an half a chance Um, you know at at the moment I'm playing a lot of computer games (laughs) it's keeping me sane Um, but yeah mainly you know football is you know Football, family, and, and work at the three things that I throw my, my energy into.
0: When you stopped playing, was there ever any doubt that you'd go into coaching?
3: Um, I don't know. George Wakelin used to say to me, when you're a manager, you know, you're, you, you will understand. When you're a manager, and I'd always say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that, George. But um, when I went to Cray for the final time as a player um, to work with Tony Russell, We just sort of clicked, and I really, the way that he arranged his sessions and the way that the team were were structured, it really sort of resonated with me. So, you know, there was discussions. I I did get offered a job as standalone first-team manager, um, but it wasn't the right move. It was a scaffold-level side, um, and I just thought it, it, it wasn't the right team at that time. Um, but when Tony came in and said, you know, do you want to be my assistant? It just fitted in perfectly, and you know, he probably saved me because, you know, I was such a, you know, a competitor um, that I missed the plan side. I still miss the plan side, but this is the next best thing because you do get the opportunity to influence, you know, and, and set your side out and and still go and win, even if you're not the one out there doing the kicking. Um, so it's, it's it's very rewarding.
0: And Craig Wanderers, I mean, what, what a fantastic couple of years you've had.
3: We've had a, yeah, we've had a great, well, since I've come in, you know, I said to Tony, I've really, um, you know, I've only seen the good side of, of management. I've not really gone through any sort of difficult patches as such. We've had little spells in there, but, you know, we've been riding the crest of a wave, really. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a great little club, Um you know the the owners are fantastic. They've backed us all the way, um, and we've got a really good group of lads that we've managed to keep together. You know the majority of those, and they all buy into it. You know, you, you can sound a little bit, you know, um, not flash, but you know you can talk about philosophies and things like that. But yeah, you know, what that means is we've got a way of playing and we've got a way of doing things that we believe in um but the players do as well and they've bought into it and that's the only way it's going to work um so yeah i mean it's unfortunate this season's ended or this this is the season that never was um because we were flying you know since christmas unbeaten am in 12 you know top of all the form leagues and you know every time we walked out on the pitch we we're just thinking we we're going to win um but yeah there's nothing that can be done you know there's no point moaning about it we don't feel hard done by you know Worthing are the ones really that should feel hard done by because they're sort of seven points clear and they've had a great season for a really young side um, but for us we just you know we're pragmatic enough to, to say we can go again um, as long as we can keep hold of our players but you know it's going to be tough because there's going to be other teams that are, are interested in them and rightly so um, but we just got to you know hope that they trust in us and and they believe that we can go again
0: and just finally what are you doing to keep yourself occupied during this lockdown
3: i've been doing a bit of running again but the the old knees and the feet aren't the best um i'm just trying to keep i've been i'm also doing my ua for um, i'm meant to be starting that in june so i've been doing a lot of the um, paperwork side of that you know creating session plans and various drills and stuff i'm getting quite imaginative with that at the moment um so that when i'm faced with a particular problem in the future i can sort of i can formulate a plan of how to get around it and how to beat it but yeah i'm a boring football man i I love it more than anything well, apart from the kids and, and the family but yeah, that's what I, I tend to pour my energy into
0: that's brilliant joe thank you very much uh Matt, Cray Wanderers. We, we've spoken a lot about how well they've done this season, and, and fair play to Joe.
1: Yeah, I think I think his, his points come across really well. He's again somebody um, a no-nonsense defender. If I was a, a footballer and a striker, and interesting we said about Steve Morrison ripping him apart, but he's one of these players who headed the man and the ball, and he's had a great career. I and mean, his brother Paul Vines, they're sort of you know names that you will remember in the. Um, Early 20th century and back in the in the 10s as well. What a good career he's absolutely had. Now, giving something back at Cray as well. So I remember seeing him on numerous occasions. What a good player he was, solid. And I didn't know his background when he mentioned he went from the Sunday League all the way up to the to the um, Conference South. And that's you have to say that's an excellent way of um, a career he's absolutely had. You know, again, he's one of these people we have all these people on this program, John. That you know, if he was um, my manager. Or a coach of him, you'd have absolute full respect for him, and and most importantly, if you weren't doing the job, he'd tell you you would have to
2: sort that out.
0: Huh. And Alex, what do you make of uh, of Cray Wanderers? I mean, from afar, they've been so impressive, haven't they? have
2: oh, indeed. I mean, what, a, what oh, this is the thing we're talking about the the, the teams that won't want to play and and, uh, and and the ones that do. I mean, they they can count themselves desperately unlucky. That that division was fantastic, John. I know you saw. Quite a bit of it, and, uh, and they were going so well. The form after Christmas and things really were. If you could if just think a few more games in, then um, they really could have got themselves into, into such a strong position. They'll have a, a lot to be, well, they could have a lot to be bitter about. But he didn't sound bitter, did he? It's, it's one of those things, and uh, and and uh, basically, some things are more important than uh, than football. And they'll be they'll be hungry if they can get anything going again at the start of the next season, whenever that might be. Then uh, then I'm sure they'll be looking to get back up there, keep the squad together as as much as possible and, and just try and keep the, that momentum that they've built and hope that it hasn't kind of dissipated during the break. But Craig, fantastic club, so much history. And, uh, and, and as Matt said as well, Vines, what the, the, the brothers, it's like basically football folklore down here in the, in the South East for the last kind of 10, 15 years as well. And I'm not sure about him as a former legend though, John. I'm sure he'll still be a legend in the, uh, in the management game too.
0: Yeah, I actually hate that phrase. I don't know why I used it because you either are a legend or or you or you're not. So I apologise uh, to my, to everybody there because that's absolutely uh, appalling on my part to use such a uh, a wretched phrase. Um, what I will say as well is I did have a good chat with Joe uh, after we'd finished recording as well, and you know, and I said to him, and this is one one thing I think is really key in these clubs. They are a young management team. Tony Russell's. Um, you know, early 40s. Uh, Joe is, uh, I think he's just 39. You know, th- 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 when you've got a young cl- a young management team, you- you're prepared to-, to go the extra mile. And he said one big thing that they do really well is they analyse stuff. They've got the software to-, to really look at stuff. And and I think that shows how football has changed in the last 10 years so much. Yeah, I think it is.
1: It, uh, again, the game has moved on. When you see some of these things in the the Sunderland program and the Brazilian program, how people analyse the game a bit more and, that, and that's floated down to to our levels as well and I think that's a key part of it uh, from that point of view and I think Joe, how many games he must have played, 500 plus games at this level, knows about that but that, ever that extra little bit of, you know, quality and a little bit of working things through can, can make that the little factor a little bit more so yeah I think it's a, a, a way forward I'm just going back John look and he mentioned Adam McLeod in that thing I remember seeing Adam McLeod there and I'll just put in a couple of players that, um, that Joe Vines would have played with you've got Tutu Henricks Des Borateng Adolf Moko, Wade Falana. if you remember him what a player he was Nick McDonald. so he's played with some really great players in that Bromley time and, he, and he'll utilise when well, he's Bromley days and he'll utilise that great because they are a club on the up with a new ground coming so um yeah and again, I, I, I read what Alex said as well. He, he wasn't bitter and twisted about this ending, which I think um, gives me more respect for what, he's, what, what the job he's doing.
0: Yeah, so thanks to Joe for his time uh, yesterday. And if you are a player, coach, chairman, uh, anyone involved in football and you want to answer our questions, uh, then please drop us a line on Twitter. We are at KentNLPodcast. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get more people on the show uh, in the coming weeks. It'd be absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's pretty much it for this week's show. Um, our, our first... Uh, threesome as as Matt um, worryingly called it yesterday uh, Alex have you enjoyed your Kent Only podcast debut? Oh, I've enjoyed it immensely thank you very much a threesome I'll never forget <laughs> trust me yeah me, me too uh, and uh, uh, Matt you've enjoyed it oh, as well? I'd love to be the meat between you two guys oh dear we better edit that out oh, no, uh, no I'm going to leave that in and people can realise what a horrible man you are and then when Hody's on the show from now on and you're not people will know why and a good point, well made. <laughs> yeah, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to uh, Matt and Alex for escaping their children. Uh, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, you guys, obviously you've both got young kids, uh, Alex younger than, than, than Matt's, but you're, you're quite lucky because at least there's a few people for you to irritate, whereas me and Hayley have just got each other to annoy, <laughs> and, and trust me, that's hard work. She must have the
2: patience of the same,
0: honestly. I know, I don't know how she copes. She's um, been yanking on your beard, mate. She oh, says it's. She no. says it's not a beard. So uh, you know, I, I I I think it is, but um, she says no. What What did you last think?
1: Uh, well, I was impressed, mate. I was impressed. Yeah, that was a fully, you know, um, what was the the guy Tom Hanks in that film when he's on the on the island, uh, sort of castaways, <laughs> going down to that level. Next
0: this time next week, mate, you'll be platin it. That's the, that's the look I'm going for. Tom Hanks from Castaway. Um, that's good yeah very good uh, yes yeah, so thank you everybody for listening as I just said you can find us on Twitter at Kent and podcast you can find us on Facebook uh, we are Kent non League on there uh, we are on Twitter all, all three of us are on Twitter I am at Johnphipps 81 Matt is at Matthew one Gerard and Alex you are at Alex Hode sport. Uh, right. Yeah, you see? I know my Twitter handles uh, I've got something to fall back on when my whole life implodes uh, but yes thank you everyone for listening thank you to Alex and Matt uh, for joining us today and uh, we will speak to you all next week on the Kent Nonny podcast
1: stay safe